Hi. Right. <clears throat> Take two. Hi, and welcome back to Superliminal Ire. I'm your host, Timothy O. Williams, candidate for West Hollywood City Council and the first black candidate to ever run for city council, as reported by WeHoville.com. And you're listening to the second part of episode one, which is entitled, They'd Rather See Us Dead. And I got some feedback from people who had listened to episode one, part one, and it was very constructive. And I am going to continue to grow. So please know that. But I thank you for taking the time to listen to me now as I am in that process. It is something that is not lost on me. The support that is felt from people early on in the creative process. And it is something that I think time will reward. All right, on to our episode today. Part two of They'd Rather See Us Dead. So I realize I didn't answer some pretty key questions. When I say they, who do I mean? They are those who hold power. They are those who put a vested interest in trying to detract from the resources that many of their counterparts and compatriots need to live. And what do I mean by that? I mean that while a senator from a state will stand there and debate whether or not to repeal a part of Obamacare or whether or not to end the CHIP funding for millions of children who have used it for health insurance, that senator can sit there and debate that point as though they are numbers on a screen or as though they are pawns that are being moved from on high of a grand chess set. But the reality of the situation is that when you are debating things like the tax bill overhaul, where there are tax breaks and extra incentives for middle-class families, however, they are not permanent. And so what happens is, is that over the next two years that these families are going to become accustomed to this additional cushion that the president was so kind to bestow upon them that upon year three, should no other action be taken, that will all be taken away. And where in one arena, that of the legislators, it seems arbitrary. It seems as though it's a bargaining chip for compromise. But in another arena, Main Street as they call it, suburban America, across the heartland, it's the difference between being able to keep the lights on. It's the difference between kids having a good or a great Christmas from their parents. It is the difference between life and death for so many people across America. The hot button issues, as they are called, as it pertains to domestic policy in America are issues that are life or death. They are life or death. So while you want to placate to your base and say that, no, we don't want to, um, we don't want to clean DACA bill. We don't want, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to clean DACA bill. It has to include a wall. 
Okay, but what what by putting in that largely unrelated caveat into a discussion that is a human rights issue, it shows me that you do not care for the rights of the humans that are at issue. And if you do not care for the rights of the humans that are at issue, that leads me to believe that they, quote unquote, do not care if you live or die. That was my first realization. My first realization was like, God, I don't think that they care if I live or die. Oh, I remember it was 2008 when I really had participated in the political process. And I just saw the vitriol coming from the other side and it was shocking to me. Correction, no, it was 2004 was that was the election that I began to learn all of these things. And so what started as me just thinking, oh, they'd rather see, you know, they don't care if I live or die. It grew into they'd rather see us dead. What also is that based on? Such a such a inflammatory statement has to be based on something. As I said in part one, you don't know me, but I choose my words very carefully. And when I say they'd rather see us dead, I mean they would rather see us dead, as evidenced by South Central Los Angeles. I worked there for a year in the community, in the high school, in middle schools, going to students' homes. And I was shocked that I did not see any grocery stores. When it comes time for lunchtime, I usually look for a nearby grocery store to find something to eat. And there weren't any. There were liquor stores. There were plenty of fast food places. There were drug stores. But there was no grocery store. So I moved on. And then I thought about it some more. And I thought about my life. As a black man, I am naturally pre-hypertension, apparently. Ever since I pretty much was 18, my, my doctor was wanting to... I mean, you don't need to know all that. But the point is, is that through nutrition and through eating right and access to good whole foods, I have been able to avoid having to take medication for something that millions of Americans and people take every day. And that's high blood pressure medication. And if you don't know, high blood pressure is something that is a precursor that indicates whether or not someone or could lead to a stroke if it goes unchecked. So it's a very serious issue. Very serious issue. I have managed to avoid having to 
purchase a prescription drug every single month simply by way of diet and exercise and access, but key to that diet portion is access to quality nutrition when I want it. That is not the case for everybody. So now I just want you to understand that why that is so hurtful is because food and the type of food that you eat is what fuels your body. It literally gives you life. So if something that gives life is consciously, unconsciously, purposefully, inadvertently, depends who you ask, being restricted from certain populations, you're restricting the thing that gives life. Therefore, you are restricting their access to life. So you would rather see them dead because it's one thing to have an indifferent approach to much of the political discourse in America today and the inequities that exist. It's one thing to be indifferent. It's a whole nother thing to be a part of or to look the other way when you become aware that there is a concerted effort to limit access to that which gives human beings life in America in the year 2018. So that's why they'd rather see us dead. And who's us? Who's us? Who's us? You know, everybody has a different label for who the us is within my, my point. And it's simply those who are outside of the 1%. It's anyone who is going to require some sort of assistance to get through life. And the funny thing about that is that everybody requires assistance to get through life. So it doesn't make sense. And furthermore, it doesn't make sense because nutrition and eating right and getting sleep, those sorts of things, access to quality food, that is how we lower our healthcare costs. If we have more people eating the right things in the right amount of portions, that would lower our healthcare costs by a great measure over, I would say, even 15 years. That is complete speculation on my part. But if there are less people who are sick, the costs will go down because when you are sick is when you need the special tests, you need the special scans and all these sorts of things. If we have people who are properly properly cared for and are properly, you know, they're being fed, we're going to have less sick people. 
We're going to have less people who cost more to keep alive year to year. We're going to have thereby lower healthcare costs. So again, what, why would it make sense to limit access to food for poor people or the 99 percenters? And I am one, proudly. Why, why would that make sense? If it's going to save money, if we teach people how to eat right and we get them to eat right and it's going to lower your health care costs, why then would that practice still persist? And this is the last iteration of my point. This was the last realization in my mind was that they would rather see us dead. They would rather see us dead in the ground or as good as dead, making money off of us than anything else. Think about it. Okay, you said that maybe my point's radical. Just because grocery stores aren't in South Central LA, blah, 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 I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Okay, well, I'll give you another example. Cannabis. Cannabis for many, many, many years has been used by lower income or black communities. I remember growing up and I come from a very large, very wonderful and amazing black family in um, the Midwest. And looking back at old home videos and such, there's always like a joint in the corner. There's something over here. I just, I wasn't aware of it as a child, but as I grew up, I began to realize. And so coming to California and, and really understanding cannabis and the healing properties of it and the the benefits of what CBD can do for inflammation in the body, the benefits for what THC and CBD levels can do for pressure behind the eyes for those who suffer from glaucoma, the benefits of what THC can do for those who suffer from grand mal seizures, the benefits of what cannabis could do for people who suffer from chronic pain versus the risks or side effects are far better of a ratio for success than is man-made opiate drugs like Oxycontin. I worked in Florida for five years. Two and a half of those years was spent working for the Florida Department of Children and Families down in Manatee County. My job was to screen people who wanted to be involved in the lives of the children. I needed to make sure that they were okay people. And Whenever I would do the background screens of parents, 
it was interesting to me because there was a clear pattern that was only confirmed later by some conversations I would hear when parents were in and out of the office of a person having been hurt or having had routine surgery or this, that, or the other and going to their medical professional asking their advice following their advice only to find themselves years later addicted and demonized and cast out of a society. The opiate epidemic is decimating the American person. It is a virus that is literally eating away at our collective identity. It is destroying our families. It is destroying the genetic material that is passed on from generation to generation because of this, that, and what other ever side effects could be happening as a result of the drug use. So I've seen it firsthand. I've seen people who love their kids so much, more than the world, not be able to pull themselves out of the grips of an opiate addiction that started by way of them listening to advice from their medical doctor. That does not make sense. It also does not make sense that in lower income communities, people are arrested for something that my fellow Weehoans and Los Angelinos and Californians use each day as a source of creativity, as a source of medication to get over some type of anxiety or, or anxious feeling that they have, or what of a number of other reasons that something is being used in America to save lives and to make lives better in another part of America is being used to destroy lives and has decimated specifically the black community. I can speak of that because I've seen it with my own eyes. That does not make sense. Here we are with two instances where there are two Americas, at least. There's an America where you have a grocery store and access to quality foods, and then there's an America where you don't. There's an America where you can smoke weed and you can use cannabis medicinally, and then there's an America where if you are caught with it, we're gonna throw you on the ground and lock you up. And if it happens two more times, we're gonna hit you with a felony, we're gonna take away your right to vote, and then we're gonna put you in a steel cage and we're gonna make money off you for the rest of your life by way of government funds. Like I said, they'd rather see us dead or as close to dead. I've never been to jail, and God willing, I will never go. Knock on wood. But 
Though, that is the definition of inequality. The fact that people hold so much power and so much prejudice at the same time as that power has brought us to a place where America is more segregated than ever before because black, Latino, and other lower income communities hide from their fairer skinned compatriots out of fear and vice versa. That is not America. They may rather see us dead. But as long as there is breath in my body, that will never be the collective conversation, the collective narrative of who America is. I don't want any person to be dead sooner than their time. I respect your right to breathe as much as mine. That's America. I am. You are. That's America. <laughs>